Thank you. You may be seated. Our first scripture reading today is the 32nd Psalm, Psalm 32. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in those spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silent, my body wasted away through the groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, a rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with a bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many of are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. So be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. The word of God for the people of God. Our second scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Every, everything old has been passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. He was reconciling it to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us so that we are ambassadors to Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. The word of God for the people of God. Our gospel reading today is going to be from the gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and it's a long one today. So, The gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So y'all just sit still. We're going to read for a while. All right. Then Jesus said there was a man that had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, to his father, Father, give me the share, my share of the property that belongs to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in desolute, desolute living. Um, when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as one of the citizens of the country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to eat and to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me as one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to find his father. But while he was still afar off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion towards him and he ran to him and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves quickly, get out a robe, the best one, and put it on him and put the ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. And then the fatted calf, they killed it. And they let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And we began to celebrate. Now the elder son, he was out in the field. And he came and approached the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the slaves and asked, what is going on? And they replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has gone, he has come back safe and sound. And then he became angry and he refused to go in. He came out to find the father and began to plead with him. And but he answered to him and said, listen, all of these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me anything, a young goat, so that I may celebrate with my friends. But then, but when his son of yours came back, who had devoured his property with prostitutes, you killed that fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. So we will celebrate and rejoice because your brother, that brother of yours was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost and he has been found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And then there was a man that had two sons. Now we know because we just read that lengthy passage that we are talking the parable of the prodigal son. That one that we have heard time and time again. But if you were the Jewish reader that had read it for the first time or heard Jesus speaking it to you for the first time, your mind might drift a little bit when you heard that intro. There was a man that had two sons. There was a man that had two sons. We called them Cain and Abel. There was a man that had two sons. Oh, we know them as Isaac and Ishmael. Oh, there was a man that had two sons. That's got to be Jacob and Esau. The people hearing the story that Jesus is telling them, they've heard it before. They know what's going on. They know what is coming. There is a good brother and there is a bad brother. There is, there is a righteous brother, and there is an evil brother. There will be redemption at the end. We know how to read this passage. But maybe there is more to the story. Maybe it's more than being that simple. Maybe when we read it as readers as we are, giving the opportunity of having the Old Testament and the New Testament for us to read together, maybe we are supposed to see this parallel. Maybe we're supposed to see Joseph who moves to a foreign land and degrades himself by working with people outside of Israel. Are we supposed to compare Joseph to our prodigal? Or maybe the parallel that we're supposed to see in this is Pharaoh. You remember Pharaoh in Exodus? 
Because he said the same words. He said, I have sinned against heaven and before you when he runs to Moses and Aaron. And then our protagonist, the prodigal, he repeats the same words. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Are we supposed to see these Old Testament parallels? Is that the purpose? Is that what Jesus is trying to say? How were our Jewish first listeners hearing this story? How did they consume this story? How should we be consuming this story? Now, I think to answer that question, we might have to back up a little bit to get a fuller, a fuller picture. So I'm going to ask you to do something I don't normally do. If you have your Bibles, if you want to get it out, because I'm going to read a little bit more. Um, if not, you don't have to get your Bible out. I'm literally going to read it to you. But I think we need to back up a little bit more in Luke 15. So if you give me just a short moment, I'm going to read you the first part of Luke 15 because we just read the last part of Luke 15. The beginning of Luke 15 starts like this. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, which of you having a hundred sheep and losing one in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he is found, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me where I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what of the woman who has ten silver coins? If she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found a coin that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then verse 11 goes into, And then there was a man who had two sons. So it's a story that we have heard, right? So it begins in the, in the story that we know that there is a complaint from the Pharisees. This guy, this rabbi, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And then we hear the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd loses one of his sheep, and then he searches and he finds it. And once he, founds, once he finds it, there's great rejoicing. And then we hear the parable of the lost coin, where the woman has ten coins, loses one, and then when she finds it, there is great rejoicing. And often in times in parables, I think we try to figure out who is God in this story. Who are we saying God is in this story? Is God the shepherd who loses sheep? Is God the woman who loses her coin? Can God lose us? Well, the answer is no. There's no rhetorical there. The answer is no. God cannot lose us, so maybe that isn't how we should be reading it. So it can't be it. So maybe the first two parables aren't essentially about repenting and forgiving. Maybe they're about counting. The shepherd noticed that one of his 100 sheep were gone probably because he forgot to count them. At some point, he didn't stop and count and realize he had a hundred sheep. The woman noticed that her ten coins were gone because at some point she had forgotten to continually count her resources. And then they searched and they found and they celebrated. 
And then there was the parable of the lost son. There was a man who had two sons and he loses one of them and then he finds him again. And then there's much rejoicing. But even in that parable, we as the listeners have forgotten to count because there was a man that had two sons and we're rejoicing for the one that came back. But where is the other one? Now the elder son, well, he was in the field and when he came and he approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he called to the slaves and he had to ask what was going on. No one informed him that his brother had returned. No one cared that he was left to tend the fields and no one was concerned that he wasn't there for the party. No one counted. No one counted. The purpose of these three parables in succession is ultimately to answer the question of those Judean elite who ask, why does this rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus' answer is essentially to them and to us still, the church, that it is easy to forget to count our livestock, but we need to. It is easy to forget to count our resources, but we need to. And so often we have people in our lives that are discounted, that are not focused upon, that are thrown against the wayside, that have no purpose and no value, and we are required to count them. We are required to count them. The purpose of the prodigal son is to tell the Pharisees that those people that they thought lacked value, that those people that they thought that lacked worth, that lacked humanity, those tax collectors, those sinners, even if no one else counts them, even if no one else sees them, God sees them, and we should too. Mother Teresa so famously said that if you, have, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. That if you judge people, you have no time to love them. The streets of Calcutta were dangerous when Mother Teresa first entered them. They were dirty and they were crowded. And people were infected with cholera and leprosy and dysentery and other diseases that were often fatal. Mother Teresa and her group of helpers went among them every day with extreme courage and conviction to do what they could do to ease their pain. And one day, Mother Teresa came across a young woman in the gutter in the street, directly in front of one of Calcutta's main hospitals. And that woman was so ill that she did not care that rats and cockroaches were surrounding her. And so the mother picked her up. She picked up the woman and she carried her into the hospital. And she told the nurse, this woman is dying and I need help. She needs help. But the nurse replies, I'm sorry, we have no room here. She is very poor and she can't pay us and we can't save her anyway. So we will not waste a bed. Move her along. Get her out of here. So Mother Teresa's heart broke as she carried the woman back into the street. And then she laid there in the street with the woman for hours until she died. Mother Teresa then was angry. And she felt like no one should have to die alone, forgotten and in despair in a dirty street. So Mother Teresa found an old abandoned hotel behind a Hindu temple in Calcutta and started to bring in people that the hospital across the street refused to admit. And that was the beginning of the large ministry of the woman we know as St. Mother Teresa. So when we begin to count people, 
and we see them with the value that Christ sees them, it seems like we can't help but to act. We can't help but to move. We have no choice but to move in the direction of grace when we begin to count people and see them as deserving of dignity and of worth. Many of you have heard Corey and I say that when we preach sermons more often than not, we preach them to ourselves first. And I've been studying for this sermon for several weeks now, and it has made my heart very tender. There's just something about meditating on the Gospels that makes me slightly emotional and slightly vulnerable sometimes. And Lent just does something to my heart. The season of Lent always does. So I listened to a Chuck Poole's sermon. He's a pastor in Jackson. I listened to his sermon this past week on the temptation of Christ, and I started crying while folding laundry and listening to this sermon. And I listened to this podcast of this guy named Science Mike, and he was talking about his spiritual awakening at the communion table that left me crying in the car rider line as I'm waiting to pick up Eden. And then last Sunday, during Sunday school, a woman came in that was in need of assistance. And Shauna and I took her to Walmart to get diapers and some food. And when we came back, we dropped her off and I sat in the floor in the youth room for several minutes and cried because it has just made my heart so tender. I'm not pregnant. Nothing's wrong with me. But I just keep crying because occasionally finding the tender spot, the tender spots in our spirits, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because when my heart is tender and my mind is focused on seeing people that are made in the image of God is when we begin to do holy work and holy things. It's in those moments where I pull up at Piggly Wiggly to get groceries with my kids, and I see this mama standing out there with a cart full of groceries and her five-year-old in no ride home. So I make a choice, and I give her a ride. And it's also in that moment where I text Corey things like, I've picked up a hitchhiker, please call me in 10 minutes, and he gets very upset. Um, very upset. But I saw her. She was just like me. She was a mama and she had kids by her side. She had a cart full of groceries and a broke down car. And she was no different than me. She was no better. She was no worse. She needed the ride and I had means and I had time. I saw her value and I saw her worth. It's easy to do when your heart is tender towards the things of the Spirit. But I will be honest with you, one of the hardest persons to see that have value and worth and that are countable, that's got to be ourselves. One of my favorite parts of Anglican liturgy is the part of after-congregational confession. It's called the absolution. It's where the priest stands in front of the congregation. He says this three-part series. He says, God forgives you, forgive others, forgive yourself. And often the first two are easier for me to wrap my mind around, to get my heart around, to manage with, to process, to deal. That self-forgiveness thing, that's always a little bit harder. It's easy for me to stand up here and preach forgiveness to you because I see forgiveness all over you. It's harder to look in the mirror and preach forgiveness to myself. I'm reading a book right now by Nadia Boltz Weber, who is one of my favorite female clergy. 
In one of the most recent chapters, she talks about a damaging spiritual practice from the faith tradition of my childhood. And Nadia interviews this woman who was subjected to this negative spiritual practice while in youth group and how much it left her with spiritual trauma and scars. And I began to turn the pages and read with grief as it consumed me because I used to be a youth pastor in that tradition. And I've engaged in that same spiritual practice with kids just like that. And the thought that something I did could have caused someone mental anguish or pain or spiritual scars was really devastating to me. So I reached out to a friend of mine about my feelings, who's reading the same book uh, at the same time. We're both reading the same book. And she gave me great guidance that first and foremost began with the wonderful grace and mercy of Jesus that covers us all. But grace is sometimes such a tough pill to swallow. But like medicine, it heals, it restores, and it renews us. It covers us if we let it. And that is the purpose of this table, to remind each and every one of us that grace is extended to you and that it covers our sin and our shame and our grief. And the purpose of the table is to remind us of our inherent value. And it's to remind us of the value of our neighbor, of that brother and that sister that is partaking of the bread and the wine next to us. It is a place where no one is excluded and that everyone is welcome. It's a place where we do not just acknowledge grace, but we experience it. So may we continually forgive and see the worth of our neighbor. May we continually seek the forgiveness of Christ. And may we find the ability to forgive ourselves at the table of communion. Let us pray.